We are back. We are back. We are back. Yes, we are. And Alan, feels good to be back. Feels great. Feels awesome. Summer vibes. Getting some home cooking in the land for a little bit. Getting ready to come spend some time with you in College Park pretty soon. Let's go. Couple weeks. Back at it. Pump. But first, we, we got to pot a little bit. We got to pot some sports. Sports can never kick, stops. Can I kick things off? Bring it. Easily the biggest thing that has been happening in the sports world thing since our last podcast was the World Cup. I'd like to congratulate Booga on winning the World Cup. $3 million. Alan, Alan. Yeah. Just to be clear, you're talking about Fortnite? Yeah, the World Cup. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's esports. We can talk about that in a different episode. I'm I'm not quick to call it sports, but I still respect the grind. And did you, three did million you, dollars school. Did you? I'll see, take three million dollars. Did you see that Instagram video um, of a father? It was a joke. Father walking up to his kid, like, "What are you doing, son?" And the son's like, "I'm reading." And he's like, no, you're not. You're going to go and play Fortnite. You're going to try and make $3 million. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, it's a good point, though. It's crazy how things have, like, totally flipped around. Now, video games is, like, the way to build your future. Daniel, it's not all about the Benjamins, though, buddy. It It is a good – sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. A lot. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll, we'll save that for the next podcast. Sounds good. Also going on is baseball. My 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 beloved New York Yankees um, today improved to forty games over five hundred, eighty one and forty one. Whatever, no big deal. Gio Urshela, Yankees third base. My team. boy. He, he could have been. You let him go. He was. Let him go, and now and and now he's and now he's you know. He's a hero. Is he he's a three hole, four hole. Basically, he, he, we kind of move guys around because our lineup is kind of in flux because of injuries and stuff. He's hitting 337. Maybe a little higher now after today. Actually, no, maybe a little lower after today. But yeah, so I'm loving the Yankee season right now. Once we get everyone back and healthy, watch out because right now we're the best team in baseball, even without it. I think tied with the Dodgers for best. I think you're wrong. I think the Houston Astros are a better team than you guys. I'm I'm saying purely record-wise right now. And listen to this. We have a better record than the Astros. Okay, the Astros – Lost two to the Orioles. The Yankees went 17-2 and two against the Orioles this year. I know the Orioles are not the best example of a team like to play because they're terrible, but still, the Astros lost two to the Orioles last week. Sorry, this week, a few days ago, like over the weekend. After they beat them by 20 runs, though, right? Yeah, that's one game. Got to win, win more games than that. Right, exactly. Daniel, would you rather watch a Yankees game or preseason football? Yankees Giants. Game. Yankees game. Wow, you got to do some reflecting, man. No, I mean, also, it's the Giants. Daniel Jones. Okay, I watched the Daniel Jones possession. I was so pumped when I was watching that. Were you pumped? Pinpoint. I I, I told him to my brother, and I started doing the Super Bowl chant. (laughs) Like, I was in draft day. (sighs) We have to do, by the way, we have to do, like, just, like, we break down some movies. We have to do, we have to do draft day. We have to do the movie Thunderstruck. Basically, just the weird sports movies that we can nitpick. For sure. Awesome. We have so many ideas, but I think we just need a little bit more time. Maybe. I don't know. I, I feel like we, I, I can jump into that right now and just talk about the movie Thunderstruck for a really long time. 
Well, it's, it's not good for me that I, I shouldn't do that, but I could. I, I like to say sometimes podcasting relationship is like marriage. And yeah, I, you've never said that in your life. I've said that before, not to you. Okay. Um, who have you said it to? Don't worry about it. Okay, fine. Um, just am I not allowed to have things outside of this? No, of course, you, you definitely are. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, fine. Okay. So, just anyway, right. I, I know I have don't know anything about Thunderstruck, so I'd like to make um, watch it an executive watch. decision, okay, but. Watch I, it. Wa- I watch would, it. Watch it, and let me know. I would watch it, but I was kind of a little bit busy before we did this podcast. You know why? Why? I had a dope interview with who? Doctor Nick Elam. You know the Elam ending from uh, yeah. Basketball Third. Yeah, we had him on the pod this week. We did, and it was amazing. And you know, this wasn't the first time we had him on. It's not. It's our second time. It's our second time, and our second reoccurring guest. Enjoy, everyone. Enjoy. We now welcome to the pod Dr. Nick Elam, a professor at Ball State University, a Cincinnati Reds groundskeeper, and the creator of the revolutionary Elam ending for basketball games, featured prominently at the basketball tournament this year and last year. He is also our second recurring guest. Welcome, Nick. Thank you for coming on. It's great to be back with you. All right. So just before we get started, get into the, you know, the tough questions that we like to ask. Uh, can you just describe the EOM ending for our listeners who uh, may not have heard of it? Absolutely. So the idea is not to change basketball. Really, it's to do the opposite, to preserve a more natural style of play through the end of every game. Uh, under the regular time format, so often we see the quality and the style of play t- deteriorate where the leading team stalls and plays very passively. The trailing team, when they're on defense, they have to rush and force up. Or I'm sorry, when, they, when they're on defense, they have to foul and hand away free points. When they are on offense, they have to rush and force up ugly shots. That whole combination of factors makes the outcome of games very predictable. It makes late comebacks hard to complete. And so what we end up with is many really uh, big games and good games throughout basketball history that just kind of fade out with the whimper uh, without one signature moment to carry on. So the idea of the Elam ending is that you would play uh, most of the game with a clock and play the last part of the game without a clock as a way to address all these phenomena that we see because those phenomena are attributable to the clock. Mm -hmm. So if you say, well, we're going to play most of the game with the clock and play the last part of the game without a clock, it begs two questions right off the bat, which is, well, when do you shut off the clock and what do you play to? Those settings would vary based on the league or the event. Uh, For TBT here in 2019, uh, they shut off the game clock at the four-minute mark of the fourth quarter, and then they set a target score equal to the leading team's score plus eight. So, for example, uh, let's say the score is 70 to 65 when you get to that four-minute mark of the fourth quarter. Okay, we're going to shut off the clock. We're going to play the rest of the game without a clock. We're going to set a target score equal to 78. Mm-hmm. First team to 78 wins the game. And the idea is, is that uh, if you're the leading team, you can't just stall. You have to keep playing assertively to reach that target score. If you are trailing, you don't have to foul and hand away free points. You don't have to rush and force up ugly shots. You can rely on uh, getting good looks. You can rely on getting defensive stops. And again, that whole combination of factors then would make the outcome of the game less predictable. You'd have uh, greater hope for late comebacks. And every game is going to end with a swish of a net. So you have uh, more memorable game ending moments. Right. 
So I was watching the um, the championship game with um, uh, with the uh, Buckeyes and was it was Buckeyes Marquette alumni? Yeah, right. it was Carmen's yeah. Crew Golden Eagles. Got to use the official right. names. Okay, so uh, the game was very excited. I'll call it Elam ending. At the end, it ended off with um, William Buford shooting a couple free throws. In your eyes, is that a good way for Elam ending to come to an end, or would you like to see not being able to win on a free throw? Well, I think at this time, I'm not looking to modify it in any way as far as, you know, I think you still have to have the possibility that the game's going to end with a free throw. Because if you got rid of that, then I think, well, then basically, uh, you know, defenses just have, have a free pass to just hack away mm-hmm. as, as they wish, uh, knowing that they can't lose the game on at the free throw line. Uh, you know, I have heard uh, a concern that, you know, there's like a, a kind of a distaste for games that end with free throws. But what I say to that is, you know, if you don't like seeing games decided by free throws, then you should love the Elam ending because right. Mm-hmm. Right. the Elam ending is the exception uh, to see games be decided by free throws, whereas under the regular format, it's the norm uh, for a game to be decided by free throws. Mm-hmm. And also, and also, like, the amount of pressure on Buford was at another level. Like, I was nervous at home watching the game. So, yeah, I think that's a very good point. So, yeah, and, and to go on a little bit more about that. So, uh, one another thing I'll say is that, uh, you know, I, I think – from an officiating standpoint, I think it takes some guts to blow the whistle there when a team's so close to the target score. And I give them a cre- I give them a lot of credit because TBT officials, these are D1 uh, NCAA officials that they use for that, and they did an outstanding job. And and I think uh, you know even though you don't want to blow the whistle, I think when you see a foul, you got to call a foul. And that's what they did in that case. And you mentioned the pressure that went along with that. And William Buford, hey, he rose to the occasion and, and knocked down the free throws that he needed to. Uh, we've seen games. Uh, you know, there was a game in the tournament this year where a team called Mid-American Unity went to the line. All they had to do was make their free throws to win the game. They did not do that, and they ultimately went on to lose the game. So, uh, you know, there, there are still those pressure-packed uh, free throws at the end of the game, I, I would much rather see a game in with, uh, you know, a high flying dunk or a three pointer. And we've seen plenty of games in those ways, too. But you know, every now and then you'll get a game that ends with the free throw. And I think, uh, again, that's it's still an improvement uh, because we're seeing far fewer games being decided by free throws. Mm-hmm. So in the past few years, um, TBT has really exploded. It's now on ESPN. You know, thousands of fans go to see it. How, how are you able to, you know, take us through the story of how you were able to convince them to use the Elam ending, even though, like, before, you know, TBT, it was, you know, no one, I, I, I never heard of it. And, you know, how, how do you convince them to kind of take the risk with, with the Elam ending? Yeah, so, I mean, when I first thought of this idea, it was actually back in 2007, when I wow. first thought of this concept of, um, you know, maybe you could play the last part of a game without a clock. Now, it took me a while to actually convince myself that it was a good idea because, again, at first I'm thinking, ah, okay, there's got to be some reason why this wouldn't work, some fatal flaw. Um, so I really did a lot of research um, to see, first of all, if this whole thing was necessary, to, to really look and see what is happening at the end of NBA games and NCAA games, how prevalent and how effective is that fouling strategy and different other phenomena that we see at the end of games. Um, I was able, you know, finally to convince myself that I, you know, I think this is a necessary change and I think it is sound. I really kind of try to dissect it 
uh, inside it out to make sure that it was as airtight as possible. And uh, once I decided, once I convinced myself that it was necessary and sound and cool, uh, then that's when I started reaching out to people all throughout the basketball world, anybody you know who I could. Because um, uh, I knew that uh, you know at some point I'd have to convince someone who, who spearheads a league or an event to take a chance on it. Well, it wasn't until... Uh, you know, again, it was years of reaching out to different people, but it was in August of 2016 when I first reached out to TBT along with a few other semi-pro leagues and events. And uh, John Mugar, who is the founder and the CEO of, of TBT, when he read the email that I sent, uh, you know, making my argument for this format, which at the time I was calling it the hybrid duration format, um, <laughs> He, his response within a few days was he actually used the word brilliant when he thought of it. Now, I still didn't get my hopes up too much, but as the weeks and the months went on and we stayed in touch, um, and then as we got into 2017, and he actually you know, reached out to me again to say that they were going to implement it on an experimental basis and that they were actually going to, uh, they wanted to rename it the Elam Ending. So uh, just the fact that he wanted to tie my name to it was a very nice honor because I, all those years I had kind of this underlying fear that, you know, I would finally be able to convince someone that it was a good idea and they would just kind of steal the idea and run off with it. Uh, and so it was cool for me and gave me a lot of peace of mind, I guess, that uh, TBT liked it. They wanted to implement it and they wanted to make sure that I got credit for the idea and, and tying my name to it. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Um, and Daniel and I are both uh, business school majors. And naturally, I'm kind of wondering, is this something that you're looking to monetize in some way or more just a passion for the game right now? Uh, that's a great question. It's a, it's a question I get a lot of times. And again, this is a question that I had for myself. I can remember consciously thinking this, you know, back in 2007 of, is this, you know, what, what is the end game? What's the end game here? What do I think, uh, you know, I can draw as a return out of this? Because, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, whoever thought of a three-point line, it's not like they get royalties every time Steph Curry drains one from downtown or anything like that. So I was never quite sure that I'd ever see like a direct return on this. But I always thought that if this idea really caught on and uh, and I gained enough credibility by being the originator of this idea, that it could lead to some exciting indirect opportunities stemming from that. And so, again, I think that, that uh, that's still very realistic. Sometimes I let my imagination run wild with, with some scenarios sometimes. Um, What's the dream? What's the dream? <laughs> well, I, I think it would be, again, I, I, I really think that this, uh, I mean, I'm seeing it happen before my eyes where this idea is growing. I'm hearing left and right just about uh, different grassroots level leagues and events kind of incorporating it into different summer camps and tournaments and practices or whatever. Um, there's also a, another semi-pro league called the East Coast Basketball League that has incorporated it. I think that there are very strong indications that the Elam ending will be played on an international stage in 2020. Uh, so again, I think it's going to keep, keep growing and keep that positive momentum. Well, again, um, so for me to be attached to that, I think to some exciting opportunities, whether, you know, people say, hey, this Elam guy, he's he's got some pretty uh, good ideas. Maybe he's got some good ideas that could help us out where I could be maybe a consultant for uh, any number of organizations, something like that. Or, um, you know, again, to be 
you know, again, you, you mentioned how I'm, how I am a res groundskeeper. That's that's what I do as a part time job because I've had full time jobs as an educator throughout my life, and it's something I'm very proud to do. Uh, you know, this could possibly lead to other part time opportunities, or who knows, full time opportunities in the sport, mm-hmm. sports world. You just never know. So again, uh, you just never know what kind of doors this is going to open. But uh, it's exciting to think about. Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe just like. Right, just I want you to, I want to like, just hear kind of like I'm a math guy a little bit, like a data science type of guy. So I'm really interested in like what prompted the switch from changing the target score. Last year it was the target score pl- was the leading score plus seven. Now it's plus eight. What went into that decision? Kind of well, like behind the scenes. And to kind of combine this question and the previous question. So, yeah, another thing I think about sometimes is, uh, hey, maybe, maybe there's, uh, kind of this wild idea that it could end up with being some sort of like endorsement opportunity. So, you know, LeVar Ball always wanted that $1 billion uh, endorsement deal, like shoe deal. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe I can get a $1 billion endorsement deal with a calculator company or something yeah. like that. So, you know, Texas Instruments, you know, write, yes. write that check for a billion dollars to have me endorse it, something like that. But I, yeah, I would buy I'm a TIE one. I would buy that. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, I'm a math guy too. That's my that's my background. Is and I was a high school math teacher, and and still even now as a professor, I use statistics in my in my research and things like that. But um, the change that you that you asked about going from plus seven to plus eight. So uh, what, what's interesting is again I've talked about those different settings of when you shut off the clock and what do you play to. I think that they would vary based on the league or the event. Well, for TBT. You know, it's it's still kind of an emerging event, and there's not like this huge stockpile of uh, scoring data or game footage from mm-hmm. years past to really know um, on paper going in like what the right settings are. So last year, uh, and even in 2017, it was kind of a shot in the dark. We said, let's try the four-minute mark, and let's try plus seven, see how that works out. Well, if you're cutting out four minutes of the game, you want to get about four minutes worth of game time back, you know, in that in that untimed final stretch. What we were seeing was with that plus seven that that the time elapsed, you know, kind of like that theoretical game time elapsed at the end. It was a little closer to three minutes than four minutes, so games were ending a little bit quicker than what we anticipated. Mm-hmm. So again, just, we just saw it as an opportunity. TBT had an opportunity to kind of beef up that untimed final stretch, go with the plus eight instead. Um, I'm still in the middle of, of gathering all the data that I can from 2019. That'll still take me a little while to go through all the games, but mm-hmm. uh, just kind of anecdotally, it feels like uh, you know we got an extra possession or two out of that out of that additional point. Mm-hmm. Got got uh, you know closer to four minutes worth of game time. So it felt it just felt like a good change anecdotally. And I think again, once I dive into the numbers, I think the numbers will bear it out too that that was a good a good change for TBT. Just for curiosity's sake, what would be the um, what would be the, like the breakdowns time wise and um, target score wise for the NCAA and the NBA? Have you have you crunched those numbers? Absolutely. So again, I, I have what I would consider my starting point on paper, and then again, if it were ever put in practice and and it was decided that a change needed to be made, then that could easily be made. Um, so I'll start with college basketball because the numbers work out a little bit better there. So I would recommend uh, shutting off the clock at the four minute mark of the second half there for men's college basketball, and there's a few reasons for that. One is that. That's around the time that you would see a team with a medium-sized lead really start to slow down and play passively and start to manipulate the clock. 
Uh, it also happens to be the last media timeout, so it kind of makes for a natural transition mm-hmm. stage. Uh, now, the really serious flaws like the deliberate fouling and like the rushed possessions, we really don't see that until about the last minute or so of the game. But you can't wait too long to shut off the clock. You're just going to run into the same problem. So you mm-hmm. have to build in kind of an untimed cushion. And so I think the four-minute mark is the way to go. Okay, well, if you're cutting out four minutes of a 40-minute game, uh, you're cutting out 10% of the game, and now we need to find some way to add 10% of it back. And if you look at scoring rates in college basketball, it's about 70 points per team per game. And so 10% of 70 is 7. So for college basketball, for men's college basketball, I will recommend uh, shutting off the clock at the four-minute mark uh, and then using plus 7. For the NBA, I would recommend actually keeping the clock all the way till the three-minute mark of the fourth quarter and using a plus seven there. Um, but again, you know, if they were ever put into practice and decided, hey, we need to change this or that, it, it can easily be done. All these right. things are written in pencil at this point. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, did you were you at thought were you at TBT this year? I was. I went to. Um, as many games as I could, and I actually went to 21 of the 63 games this year, and um, and they run their their games concurrently at different sites. So I, I actually think that's the most games that I could have possibly attended was 21. Um, and, I, and I really, and I because I really think it's important because um, again, you know, I'll dive in and, and crunch the numbers and look at things from that standpoint here, you know, in the coming days and weeks and months, but. I think it's really important to be in the arena to get the feel of what it's like, uh, you know, during that stretch of the game. Some things that you can't really measure and get the, you know, is it giving us that feel that we're looking for? And, uh, you know, from what I can tell you from being at uh, seven games in Columbus and then seven games in Wichita and then seven games in Chicago, um, it really, like the atmosphere is, is really what we're looking for. That, that's the part that I think is most exciting to me is that, uh, I mean, there's just, there's just juice at the end of that game when they shut off the clock and they'll play like a little, like 60 second intro video to kind of explain what the Elam ending is all about. And those will some great highlights of games past. Um, I mean, the crowd really gets jazzed for it. And like in that championship game, you know, it was a neck and neck game. It was kind of a sloppy game throughout. And uh, they got a good crowd there, you know, because they were playing in Chicago. So they got a lot of fans from Ohio for the Ohio State team coming down from Milwaukee for the Marquette team. So they had a good crowd. I was a little surprised. It was kind of a quiet crowd throughout. But then once they got to that, uh, to the Elam ending, it was a one-point game. They shut off the clock. You know, you know, I think it was 58-57 at the time. They're playing to 66. So you can feel the finish line, you know, close by. And now everybody's on their feet. And people were on their feet uh, for the start of that. And, again, that, I think that would become kind of the, the, the tradition or the norm. Uh, you know, if this were implemented at the highest levels of play, where really, it, you know, you have to lean into the finish. And I, I just thought it was really cool, the atmosphere, mm-hmm. uh, being in the arena. Uh, Daniel and I finish off every show with something that we call hot take, where we make a bold prediction. I'm going to start off with a cold take, something not a free, basically a prediction that I think is very likely. I think that the Elam ending will be in a huge percentage of like, um, like smaller tournaments, like for sure, like um, like pro-am type of things, and I could definitely. Uh, see it going bigger and bigger, and um, and, and it's really, really exciting stuff. So 
uh, transitioning since you're like the, um, I'll call yourself the masterminds of changing things up in basketball. What do you think about the NBA moving um, the schedule from a December to August timeline versus the current setup? Uh, I, I, so, well, you said December. So, so the idea is like, um, to start when football ends and then go throughout the whole summer. Like, oh, I see. Okay. I see. So yeah, I almost have like uh, opening day on, on Christmas day or something like that, which is something they talked about. I, I actually think, um, I think that there would be a lot of positive to that. I think that would be kind of a cool idea um, for because uh, I think then, especially if, you know, if you're basketball, if you, if you enjoy college basketball and uh, NBA, I think that would be great because I think for kind of the academic calendar, college basketball would kind of have to stick with what they've got where they're mm-hmm. starting in early November. But then you'd have the NBA season now starting in late December and going all the way through, uh, yeah, you'd say probably August. Now you're close to having the whole calendar covered with great basketball then at that point. And so, yeah, from a basketball fan perspective, I could see a lot of positives to that. Yeah, definitely. Um, Again, another question on the general landscape of college college basketball and pro basketball. Um, Recently, you know, with with, with Steph Curry and the overall – and the the overall like three point revolution that's going on, do you think that's a positive for the game, or do you think that it's something that would need to be fixed? And if so, what what would be your your ideas on that? Yeah, so I think um, yeah, it's kind of deciding well what what uh, how many three pointers do we want? You know what what is the right number? And I don't know exactly what that percentage of of uh, field goal attempts would be. But yeah, I could see it reaching a point if it hasn't already, where you know maybe we're seeing teams just rely on the three pointer a little bit too much. And if that's the case, then I think uh, you know, uh, well, I, I, I was going to say an easy fix. Maybe it's not as easy as it sounds, but I think you could you know, possibly move the, the three point line back a little bit again. Um, at that point, for NBA, you'd almost have to widen the court because already, you know wide enough to handle a, a true arc, uh, you know, they have to go to that, you know, uh, you know what I'm saying, like the parallel, runs parallel to the, to the sideline. You mean the corner, uh, the corner almost, three? Yeah, the corner okay. threes, yeah. So you'd almost have to widen the court, which, you know, I don't know how uh, yeah. the layout of the arena is, whether that's feasible or not. But mm-hmm. um, I, I could see that being a positive just because, um you know, that would probably reduce the percentages of threes that are taken. That opens up the court a little bit, gives us a little more freedom of movement, I think, for drives to the basket or, or different cuts to the basket, things like that. So, uh, yeah, I could be on board with uh, extending the three-point line a little bit in the NBA. Yeah, I, th- I think that it, just, it would open up the middle a lot. I mean, I'm a, I'm a small guard, so for me it's it's nice to be able to shoot a lot of threes. That's kind of my thing. But Daniel, Daniel, got to be able to shoot to shoot a lot of threes. You're leaving that out. That's true, but like, but still, I, mean, like, I get I it's still like you know moving it back would would hurt me a little bit, but I I think I'd be okay. But I I hear like I also love the mid range and like you don't want to just see guys running three point line to three point line. You don't really get to see a full game that way. So I I think spreading it out would definitely be good. Maybe you know revitalize the big man position a little bit. Um and 
the other day, it's baseball season. I think we should talk a little baseball while we have a Reds groundskeeper here. And Nick, I was wondering, what's one of your favorite aspects of being a groundskeeper? Uh, uh, I mean, get the best seat in the house, so that's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's just it's cool just being, I guess, playing a small part in uh, putting on the show, I guess, because I've always been fascinated with the behind-the-scenes element of sports. I actually started out as a sport management major before I switched to education. Um, and so, you know, getting to play that behind-the-scenes part. But, yeah, you get, you just get uh, kind of cool experiences every, every now and then that you don't quite expect. I remember there was one time where uh, the Reds had some honored guests come for a pregame ceremony, and uh, some of those guests kind of hung around later on. And, and so uh, during the postgame, the Reds had some fireworks going on, and, and we had to wait to do our postgame work until after the fireworks. So there we are on the ground screw just hanging out in the dugout waiting for the fireworks to be over. And I look over, and one of those sitting right next to me is one of those honored guests. Uh, it was Sugar Ray Leonard. So oh, wow. it, was like, it was like, you know, this is a cool enough job just getting to see some great baseball, but then – uh, you know, every now and then you get to watch fireworks with Sugar Ray Leonard. You know, you can't beat that. <laughs> That's awesome. What's, what's the greater thrill? Um, running onto the field, putting the, um, the, the tarp on the field, or just your average day in the office hosing down the infield? What do you enjoy more? <laughs> uh, we always root for good weather. Um, <laughs> we, we always root for good weather, but uh, it is an adrenaline rush for sure when uh, – when you get that mid-game rain delay and you have to run out and put the tarp on, for sure. It, it's it's fun, uh, but then, you know, when it happens, you're in for a long night. Right. So kind of reversing our pi- a re- a reverse pivot, spin baseline. Um, drop what, step. Yeah, drop step, reverse. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what do what – do, do you talk to players at TBT? Do they give you your th- their thoughts on the UM ending? They, most of them play professionally overseas or – just just came out of college, playing obviously with the, the traditional ending. Do they all give you a input? Have you heard their input on the UM ending? So I love this question because in 2018, I, I went to a lot of games in 2018, but I actually made a conscious effort not to uh, interact too much with players. And the reason for that was because I didn't want to come off as like a salesman. Uh, I really wanted the concept to speak for itself, mm-hmm. and if people liked it or they didn't like it, I wanted them to feel comfortable, you know, offering any feedback that they had. Uh, want, now that the idea's been in play enough and, I, and it's had a chance to speak for itself, here in 2019, I made a much, you know, I actually went out of my way, and this is something I really look forward to doing, went out of my way to, to uh, talk to coaches, talk to players, get some feedback, um, and the feedback, again, from them has been, uh, you know, just very positive. And, and I think uh, they, they talked about how, you know, it, it really does put the pressure on them that they can't, you know, if they've got the lead, that they can't um, just, you know, you know, run out the clock. There was a game in the semifinal where Carmen's crew, well, defeated the four-time defending champs overseas elite. Yeah. Um, that game was tied going into the Elam ending, and then Carmen's crew pulled away a little bit. And then they had, I think, like a four-point lead and only needed one more bucket to win the game. And all of a sudden, you could see Carmen's crew really tighten up. They took yeah. some bad shots. I think they had an air ball or two. Yeah. And I, I, talked, I talked to some of their players about that, and they, they said, like, you could feel the pressure a little bit 
once you get close to that target score. So I think that that's, you know, I, I think from a player's perspective, that can be a, a pro or a con, but I think from a fan's perspective, I think, again, that makes it uh, that much more exciting knowing that, uh, you know, it does ramp up the pressure. Right. Oh, yeah, and, for sure. and also I think um, the fifth minute of the fourth quarter becomes much more exciting. The sixth minute, knowing that, you are getting that much closer to the target score and to try and put yourself in a um, in a better position. Uh, right before oh, I love that observation because uh, this is something I'm noticing more and more too, like that sense of urgency and then that stretch. I, I usually look at games from about the six-minute mark you know, all the way through the end of the game, but I'm looking at that six-minute mark to that four-minute mark. Last year, uh, we were seeing teams that – uh, you know, had the lead. They were kind of slowing down, trying to milk a little bit of clock, and the and the trailing team was was letting them get away with that. They weren't putting pressure on. But this year in 2019, we saw uh, much more of the trailing team really p- putting pressure on the leading team, playing really pressure defense. Because a lot of times at that stage of the quarter, uh, a team still has fouls to give, which gives them even more of an opportunity not to not to just hack away, but to play high-pressure defense. And so that's what they were doing, really playing some good trap defense. And almost, I, I call it like making the leading team walk across the hot coals mm-hmm. just to get to the Elam ending. Um, right. And then we saw some situations where a team was able to create turnovers, uh, get some runouts the other way. And like one great example was uh, the Ram Nation, the VCU alumni team. Ram Nation – uh, cut like a, a 10 point deficit, 10 or 11 point deficit down to four, or no, down to three, uh, just in that in that two minute stretch leading up to the Elam ending, just by playing high pressure defense. So I think, again, as time goes on, I think we're going to see more and more uh, where that particular stretch that you mentioned is going to just be a really, really exciting part of the game. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think uh, Daniel has one more question before we wrap it up. I just want to let you know. Um, this interview was really special moment for me because it was the first time a teacher ever said that I had a nice observation. I'm very grateful. <laughs> this is the moment where I got a text from my mom, Alan. That's not true. You're very bright. With me, mom, it was a joke. Okay. Um, <laughs> so just before we wrap up, I, I want to give you a chance to share your favorite moments, favorite elo ending moments from TBT this year. Just kind of give an overall, it's like pitch basically for why the EOM ending is so great based on this yeah. year's TBT. So, again, and the data collection process is going on, but a lot you can just catch with your eyes and your ears, and that's what's been really cool. So, one thing that we talked about, a cool trend that I noticed we just talked about, is that two minute stretch before, leading up to the Elam ending is now becoming a little bit more, it was coming a lot more exciting, and, and I hope that that continues. Um, again, just for me, because by far, by far, the most highly uh, hypothesized downside of the Elam ending. People say that they, they, they worry that it would take away the thrill of a buzzer beater. Mm. And so I'm telling you, these games that come down to a sudden death situation or even games, if, if circumstances align right, then a lot of games that are decided by four points or more, when that shot goes through the net – uh, you know, you still get that look and that sound and that feel of a buzzer beater. And so we've got some great celebrations, some great broadcast calls on those. That, and again, it just it looked and it felt and it sounded just like a buzzer beater. And so that, to me, that's really cool because I always say that I really think the Elam ending is a way that we can keep 
the things that we already enjoy about late game play, but then get rid of the things that we don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, to me, probably, probably the, uh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. So just to add to your point real quick, um, imagine going back, I'm a Cavs fan, go back to 2016 finals. If LeBron's block was to save the game, if those two points on that layup by the dollar would have won, imagine that throw. Imagine if Kyrie's shot would have ended the game or gotten you within one point. So I, I really like that observation and point. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. And, uh, you know, you think about, like, the way that Game 6 of the NBA Finals ended this year, you know, it was such a thrilling game all the way throughout, but then the final, and it comes, you know, it's, it gets to a situation where there's only a few seconds left, it's a one-point game, but then the final sequence to end that game and to end the championship, you know, the series, is... You get uh, Golden State, who's so desperate to stop the clock that they call a timeout that they didn't even have. So you get this technical foul. You have to administer that free throw. Then Toronto gets the ball out of bounds. Then you get an immediate deliberate foul. Uh, the <laughs> clock ran out when it shouldn't have. So then you got to go to the monitor, and they, they had to review that and correct the time. Then you go shoot those free throws, and then you end up when there was a timeout in there too, and, and then you end up with uh, you know a four point game, and, a, and it ended on a on a meaningless you know full court heave by Steph Curry, and you know that's the way you end the season. And it's like, man, what if what if you came down to a situation where the NBA Finals is coming down to a sudden death situation where next basket wins? I think that would be just as exciting, maybe even more exciting than uh, you know a lot of the buzzer beater situations mm-hmm. that we yeah. see. Uh, but to uh, to go back to your question and talk about. Uh, my favorite moments, uh, I'll, I'll do this as quickly as I can, but uh, I, I think just, again, this idea that I don't know if the Elam ending will necessarily lead to this avalanche of additional comebacks, but I think it will provide uh, a healthy uptick. And there, there's always that hope. As long as you can keep getting stops, you're still in the game. And so Everline Drive, who made a deep run in the tournament, they had a game, their first-round game, uh, where their opponent was just three points away from the target score, Everline Drive gets stops on the next seven possessions and comes back and wins the game. Then, then they go on to the third round, and they're in a situation where, uh, again, their team, their opponent is within three points of the target score, and they get stops on six straight possessions and come back and win the game. But my, my favorite game of this tournament was seeing my alma mater, which is the University of Dayton. They had a, an alumni team for the first time called Red Scare. Uh, they were playing in Columbus, so I was there in person playing a team called Mid-American Unity. Uh, so that was a game where uh, Dayton, again, their their opponent was three points away from the target score, and the Dayton team gets stops on seven straight possessions. It gets to a point where it's now uh, 78-78. They're playing to 80. Mid-American Unity has the ball. They had a shot in, a shot in the air that could have won the game. It rattles in and out. Dayton gathers the rebound and goes coast to coast and on a fast break, put back dunk, uh, wins the game and the crowd just erupted. And I'm like, this is the coolest way I've ever seen a basketball game end. And I'm thinking, man, what if we could see this in March Madness? What if we could see this in the NBA playoffs, something like that? And, you know, I think the dream is still alive that we might see it one day. That's awesome. Like I I saw that put back dunk. It was everywhere. And, uh, you know, that that's, one amazing for the brand and also for your for your alma mater big big win. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I you know that that's that's the goal I guess you know to see this going further. I'm all in. Let's go buy stock now. Well, hey, I appreciate your kind words and uh, your your fair mindedness. And again, I, you know nobody has to uh, 
you know, no one has to apologize for ever criticizing the idea because I think scrutiny is good, but uh, mm-hmm. I love positive feedback too. So it's nice so, uh, to hear that positive feedback for sure. Yeah. On that note, now knowing I can scrutinize, I have a whole no, <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Alan. Okay, uh, Nick, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Nick. Uh, this was a blast. Hopefully there's a third time down the road. Yeah, have me back anytime. I had a lot of fun. Awesome. Great. Us too. All the best. That was awesome. Yeah, that was amazing. I, I really, to be honest, I, I really, really like talking to Nick Elon. Just, I really like talking to Nick Elon. Just not, not just like the Elon ending is a crazy good idea and it's really, really fun, but also just good guy. Good guy all around. We love having, we've loved all of our guests on the show. True. But there is no lies um, detected there. There is one, um, one thing I dream about a lunch or hangout or chill with me, you, Nick Elam, and Mike Randall. Yeah. A recurring, a recurring guest hangout. Yes. All four of the recurring guests. Me, you mean, including me and you? Yes. Correct. Boom. Yes. Um, nice. and, and, and before we move on, like Nick made me think of this. He always puts a smile on my face, right? And, yes. and, uh, we want to, take a moment to thank our sponsor middleboard excuse me let's go let's go i got this you got it middleburg heights family dentistry dr john and his team are the best you know what i think daniel when i want to go there you know what i tell myself what do you tell yourself alan i'm taking me and my smile to middleburg heights family dentistry that sounds an awful lot like the bronze decision you know makes me a little uncomfortable about it what I don't know how much I want to smile after saying it, but then I just remember how nice John and his team are, you know, Dr. John, sorry, Dr. John. And And you know what? I don't know. I'm from, I'm from Maryland. I don't know, but I I don't really, I don't know much about the Cleveland dentist scene, but from what you're telling me, it sounds like a pretty good place. I'm thinking if I'm ever in Cleveland, I know where I'm going for all my dentistry needs. Middleburg, Middleburg Heights family dentistry. That's what it is. Taking me and my talents. Daniel, you know they opened another office in Solon now? Really? I think we got to charge twice as much for this ad then. Maybe. Because now, 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 we're, now we're dealing with expansion. Um, you know what it just hit me also? What? You know I'm living with Dr. John's son. Really? This year? Yeah. Is he? Wow. Okay, I need to charge a lot more since I'm babysitting him all year. Exactly. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just free, great, free great dental care. care though. Free dental care. At least. I don't know. I don't know if Doctor John would say that. You, I mean, I don't know. Okay, that's just let's, like this is being a nice roommate. Okay, well, let's just get back to football. Okay, I talk football. Preseason, okay. preseason happened, and the Giants are winning the Super Bowl, which we discussed earlier. Daniel Jones is the next Tom Brady. But that's maybe disrespectful to Daniel Jones. You know my favorite part about Daniel Jones? What? Is that he has the same name as you, as yours. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I know. Smooth like that. Um, easily my highlight of the preseason was um, John Gruden on Hard Knocks. Did you watch? I haven't, I haven't watched Hard Knocks yet. I have it taped. I'm going to watch it soon. I, ha- I have to watch it. I'm a huge Gruden fan. Dating back to... You know Gruden's QB camp. My favorite Are, thing from Gruden's QB camp is if if you know listeners at home go on YouTube and just watch the best moments from it. I love it when he just shows a quarterback 
like a single word, like a, like a like a blue background and a single word like intensity, and I'd be like, "What does it mean to you, man?" And like, <laughs> and like you know, the quarterback, like like Matt Ryan, will be like, you know, to be intense. And John Green's like, "Love that man." And that, that's <laughs> what I love about this guy. I tell you what, man, this guy's intense. They're, they're, with Carson Wentz, he once smacked him with pool noodles, just like to like, like to like work on his toughness. And Carson Wentz is really good, so it worked. And and you know it's really cute how John Gruden was reunited with Derek Carr. Derek Carr, his his one of his Gruden camp disciples, one of his yeah. favorites. Um, did you see that one clip where he used um? some language that isn't allowed for our podcast i have i i've heard about it i didn't see it yet okay He's I, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna sit down and watch the whole thing and then like i'll come back with all of my takes on okay hard basically i have to spoil a little it was it was already all, out on so, all social media He's like, guys, we got to do a better job executing. And then he literally goes from zero to 100 as quick as one could go. We got to do a better job of executing. He threw like, like, yeah, coach. Yeah, coach. We know. <laughs> and then it's like, not, knock on wood if you agree. Like, they're always, they're always knocking on wood. In the oh, room. I have to watch so, this. I have to break this down. This is important. Yes, My night's changed. Awesome. This is what I'm doing. But, you know, it's, sure. just, it's just nice. This is also the time when like, I start, like, really, like, starting to get into fantasy football. I bought a magazine yesterday. It's it's time. You know, just, like, it's when you start, like, you start to smell it a little bit. You sort of smell football. You're mm-hmm. like, okay, you get my get my sleepers, get everything going. Giants are going to be dominant this year. Okay. I, this grammar, I know they're not, but it's fun to everyone's, – everyone's tied right now. Everyone's in first place. Um. Daniel, real quick, because we might um, be catching people before an early fantasy football draft. Do you have a sleeper yet? Do I have a sleeper? Not really. But let me – I have a fantasy football magazine right next to me. Okay. I'm going to open to a random page, and if it works out, great. If not, you know, it's not my fault. All right. Great. Oh, no, these are guys coming back from injuries. That's dangerous. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. uh, I got one. You do? Bring it. Jared Cook. The tight end. On. Why? On what team is he? Oh, I don't know. I ain't know either until I started my research. The New Orleans Saints. Really? Yes. Okay, you got me. You got me now. Yes. And and one second, Daniel. I'm going to read you. I'm always prepared, right? I'm going to read yeah, you man. a little quote, okay? Saints tight ends coach Dan Campbell was that was he the coach of the Dolphins, Dan Campbell? I feel like he was, but the Dolphins go through a lot of coaches, so I don't know. Right. Said it's pretty easy to see the impact Jared Cook has had during training camp. The the Campbell isn't the only one who's been impressed by Cook, as team reporter Mike Triplett of ESPN notes that the 32-year-old has quickly emerged as a go-to pass catcher for Drew Brees while turning heads with his size, athleticism, and versatility. Triplett adds that it's impossible to ignore Cook's performance at camp, which has included a dazzling array of, quote, big plays, end quote, and, quote, contested catches, end quote. Coming off a career year in Oakland, Cook belongs firmly in the tight end one discussion. Okay, I like that. I found something interesting in my um, – shout out to Athlon Sports. That's the magazine I'm using right now. Bear with me. I haven't done much research yet. Have drafts later this month, so we'll see. But – 
I'm always interested in big receivers who go to the Patriots. And there's two of them, one drafted, one veteran, super, former superstar. I would start with the former superstar, Demarius Thomas. He's a Patriot. Wow. I didn't know that. So if he, he tore his right Achilles um, last season. But if he can get back, then that can be a big-time threat with, you know, Tom Brady, who's, right. okay, who's fine. Um, another and Nikhil Harry, he's a big time receiver from Arizona State. I knew he was on the Patriots. I didn't know Thomas on the Patriots actually. My bad. Um, he's like another deep, long, um, you know, down the field threat that can be really like really good athlete, can get up and get balls, and you know that's a guy that you know Brady doesn't always have, but when he does, he usually exploits them and uses them, you know, really really well. So kind of like you know. Last time he had like a real receiver like this, we thought this would happen with Josh Gordon, but it didn't. But the last time he like Brady really had a receiver like either of those guys, like he can really go up, you know, go up and get the ball. Um, it was Randy Moss, unless I'm forgetting someone, and we know what happened there. Josh Gordon. I said I said Josh Gordon didn't work out. Oh, I'm sorry. I have bad attention span. All good. So yeah. those are those are our sleepers. Probably like. Allen's is probably a better one to use. Like I'm just, I'm just throwing thoughts out there. I don't because know. I'm better at fantasy football. I don't know. Didn't I beat you last year? Yes. Yeah, I did. Whatever. I started out really well, then I faded. But you know, this is my year. It's happening. Sure. All right, Allen. Yes. We're in different places, but I can sense that it's hot in both. Teaming up. Teaming up. And Bring it on. Summer. Summer. Allen, I got a hot take. What's your hot take, buddy? Okay, boy? A lot of people have been talking smack about USA basketball this year. No one's playing. Everyone's dropping out. That's partially true. I still think we're going to win. And I, I think that it, it, I, I don't think we're going to run into that much trouble. And that's not to say that the world is not good at basketball and that Serbia won't cause us some problems. Maybe Greece with Giannis may cause us some problems. Spain, you know, is always good. But at the same time, if you look at just raw talent, and the of, of the team that we, we have assembled, Kemba Walker, De'Aaron Fox, Donovan Mitchell, who else is on his team? Brooke, Brooke Lopez is on his team. Let me pull up a roster. Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker? I think I said Kemba. Jason Tatum. Right. These Joe guys Hitch. are certified bucket getters. Right. And also, like, I think, like, this could be a team that, like, really, like, just, like, dig, like, you know, like, really buys into the fact that no one believes in them. Everyone thinks they're doomed to, you know, to be a terrible team. And I think we could have like an opposite situation where, no, they don't have the biggest names, but it could be a situation where, like, as opposed to the time where we lost to Greece and we got the gold, we got the silver, I mean, I'm sorry, the bronze in, what was it, 04? Mm-hmm. In 04, we had a lot of guys who didn't really, you know, like, they were really talented, but it didn't fit. This could be a team that could really fit and could really buy into a defensive identity that could really shut people down. De'Aaron Fox and Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt, Kemba Walker being a bucket getter for you get for, for the team, that can be really really tough to deal with for for other teams, especially with especially with the athleticism we bring in the backcourt defensively. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. So I, I I think my hot take is that we're gonna win and it's not gonna be close. That's my hot take. And and also for me, it's so it's like it's in some ways it's a lot easier to get behind. Um, a team like this. You know what I'm saying? Right. And and I'm really excited to watch these guys play. But guys, and, guys we didn't include. Miles Turner's on this team. 
we're going to be so good defensively. Marcus Smart, P.J. Tucker, Derek White, Chris Middleton's on this. Oh, list. Derek White's back. Yeah, Joe Harris get some shooting. This team is. I, I think this team is very well set up to win the the upcoming FIBA World Cup. And I I, I just think the depth that they have, and they can throw so many guys at there. No, yes, they do back like the established star power. Like there's no Steph, there's no LeBron, there's no there's no uh, James Harden. I was about to say Giannis, but like Giannis is not from America. Giannis right. is playing in the tournament. He's playing for Greece. So I I, I don't know. I, I just think the defensively they're going to be dominant. I I don't think anyone's going to come close. I agree. And also, yeah. Alan, do you know the coaches? Um, I can tell you all of them: Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, um, Lloyd Pierce. Um, okay, I'm on the same side as you. No, 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 no. I'm not on it. Um. Uh, Brian Colangelo's involved. Jay Wright. Um, if you say the athletic trainer right now, I know you're on the site. I'm not. Really? I Who's was, the athletic I, trainer then? I can't tell you. I'm, I was on it a half hour ago. Fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the team trainer, the athletic trainer is Jason Biles. The other of athletic course. trainer is Dion Calhoun. And the other athletic trainer is Will Sev- Sevening. Team physician is Dr. I, North Allen. The other team position with, is Dr. Lisa Callahan, and the other team position is Dr. Riley Williams. With, star all due respect, staff. with all due respect, Daniel, if we're listing athletic trainers, c- can I go eat? Yeah, same. I think I think I think that's a good sign when it's time to wrap it up. Alan, <laughs> do you have a hot take? Um, Christian Pulisic is going to be a star in the English Premier League. Okay, Alan, but can you say it right? I did. No, it's the Premier League. Oh, I thought you were making a Pulisic joke. No, no, I trust you on that one. Okay, I think I got it right. You say it? No, English. What is it? Premier League. There you go. All right. English Premier League. Alan, will you be back soon? We'll be back soon. This there was great, you. There we go. I'll see you, big dog. See ya. Peace. <laughs>